welcome to episode 31 of Slaytanic Vercast, the internet's only comprehensive chronological retrospective of the world's greatest thrash metal band, Slayer. I'm Mo from France, and to my west, broadcasting from Dominic Cummings's Hawaiian-style tiki titty bar, it's Dr. Liquescence. How you doing, Doc? Um, well, I'm kind of in my element here. Yeah, um, I'm sure you are. I mean, honestly, um, if there was something capable of approximately human speech, but which nevertheless resembles deep sea life that would be comfortable somewhere, it would naturally be a Hawaiian-style tiki bar, wouldn't it? <laughs> it, it would, yes. I've been to a couple. I think the last one I went to was on the Cook Islands, of all places, in the Pacific Ocean dock. Oh, aren't I a jet setter? Absolutely. Um, I mean, going to a titty bar in the Cock Islands, I, 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 how, how much better does life get? Absolutely um, fantastic. What, what can you see around you? What's going on? Um, well, there's a 60mm projector, um, which is um, running a, a, a particularly shoddy um, mix reel um, of um, what I believe to be various... Um, outtakes from various bits of 90s, 70s pornography mm-hmm. um, and some cutting room floor scrapings from showgirls. We're talking um, big bushes, aren't we there, Doc? If you're talking 1970s, big, hairy growlers is what we're talking here. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, just, fabulous. Just, um, I mean, since, since I haven't had hair of my own for years, it just does me good to look at it. Yeah, of course. It, it cheers us all up from time to time. Yeah, um, and then obviously the, the 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 man himself is is is, is playing host in residence, um, right. and you know I was, I was having a chat with him earlier on, and I, yeah. I started the conversation by saying, um, "Dom, Dom, my old mate, Dom." Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, you're not only on first name terms; you're on abbreviated first name first name terms. Very impressive. Well, yeah, absolutely. Um, I said to him, well, the, the, there are people in the UK at the moment who are curious about why um, an unelected nobody um, feels somehow qualified to criticise a government who, whatever their faults may be, were actually, you know, elected by voters mm. in actual elections. Mm-hmm. Um, the, 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 there are people who, I mean, I said to him, I said, Dom, um, don't ask this question for me. I know who you are. I know how great you are, mm. and you certainly cut a dash um, in that Hawaiian shirt. Absolutely, um, yes. And that, massive, and that massive gold chain. Um, was was he there? Just just checking his eyesight out. Was it just making sure his eyes were working properly? Is it is that why he was there? I think he was trying to work out um, which out of the two of them, um, which face presented a better public image. Mm. Um, you know, so I said to him, Don. Um, my old mate, my old mucker. Yeah, I know who you are. Um, and I always have, um, ever since I loaned you some of my chemical secrets years and years ago. <laughs> um, but, you know, there are people in the UK who would dearly love to know who the fuck you are and who, yes. the, and who the fuck you think you are. <laughs> and Two good questions, there, Doc. Two good questions. Uh, they, 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 they would love to say to you, um, well, we didn't vote for you, cock. <laughs> um, yes. <laughs> I mean, um, 
I didn't vote for anyone in the Conservative Party either, but some people did. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, this is, this is what's so great about Don, you see. It, it, um, in his Hawaiian shirt, with his Colt 1911 dangling nonchalantly under his arm, mm. um, and a remarkably well-preserved Elizabeth Berkeley um, hanging off his right arm, he can look remarkably dapper and remarkably mm. dashing. Yes. Um, and he just has a way of looking at you sideways um, and saying, I'm nobody and everybody. Wow. Wow. Like, the, like a Chinese philosopher, basically. He's a good egg, isn't he? You know, I, I just think he's misunderstood, Doc. That, that, you know, that, that's my interpretation. Doc, I want to talk to you yes. about something I heard this week, which I think qualifies as possibly the best idea I've ever heard in my life. Right, here we go. I was watching Dragon's Den. Are you familiar with the show? I am. Yeah. Um, you know, for people maybe not in the UK, Dragon's, I think it's called Shank Tark, Shark Tank, isn't it? Shark Tank in America. Um, it's the same format. So you've got but five ludic ludicrously wealthy business people um, and then, you know, kind of aspiring entrepreneurs kind of grovel in front of them just to get the scrapings off their shoes effectively yeah um, i mean in, in in the spirit of um i think it's um curse of the werewolf oh yeah uh, go on the, 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 the hammer film um which opens with a, a, a great scene um, of some wealthy aristocrats before whom are paraded an endless <laughs> array of smelly peasants That's who it. get to grovel Fawn and sort of do a dance or a circus act in exchange for a chicken bone or some scrapings from the, the, the rich people's table. That's it. it. It's the same principle, isn't it, really? Dragon yeah. again. Um, and this, this, this couple came on. When I say couple, they weren't like man and wife or boyfriend and boyfriend, boyfriend, girlfriend. They were like business partners. And they had an idea for plantable children's books. So the child reads the book. And it's a, like a fun, you know, we're talking like very young children, five, six, seven years old. It's a fun story about a particular like anthropomorphized um, vegetable. And then they plant the page in the ground. And lo and behold, that plant grows from the seeds that are embedded in the page. Come on, Doc. That's genius, isn't it? Um, it functions on so many levels. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I, I wholly approve um, of inculcating in very young and impressionable minds, um, as you would well imagine, um, the idea that knowledge will literally bear fruit. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, um, it's a fantastic idea. Um, Their price point, though, the price point was a problem. You know, the, the, the dragons weren't happy with the price point in the market at £10 a book. They thought that was a bit... A bit steep. They, they wanted to get them down to five pounds, basically. So then it could be an impulse buy when you go into like a garden centre or something or a garage, you know. Right. So, um, did, did they come up with um, were there any numbers on this? I mean, was was there a good reason why it could not be five pounds as opposed to ten pounds? Well, I presume they costed it, and and they found that to be the like the most profitable model but the dragons weren't happy with that answer you know because of course the dragon's den is, is this kind of fakest of situations where the entrepreneurs are, are forced to kind of memorize every detail of their business they're not allowed to look at any paperwork or anything and they've got to pluck these numbers out of their asses 
um, which is not in any way realistic in real life at all. Um, so, you know, no, so five pounds was just, they couldn't make, they couldn't make the numbers work basically, Doc, at five quid. Um, I mean, isn't it basically the equivalent of um, me, let's say, going to Dudley Bus Station um, at about half past 11, close to midnight, um, like when the withdrawal is really starting to kick in? Mm. Um, and, you know, going, um, how much will you charge me for a blowjob? Mm-hmm. And someone's saying 20 quid. I, I don't want to give you 20 quid for a blowjob. I'll only give you 10 quid for a blowjob. Sure. Mm-hmm. Then, I mean, sooner or later, someone will give you 10 quid. For, someone will give me a blowjob for 10 quid. Sure. You're right. Um, yeah. This is the nature of business, isn't it? I mean, it, it, it's it's also the nature of crack cause that their teeth might be chattering so badly at that point that it will be a serious physical risk. Your mention of kind of people in, in, in extreme states of uh, inebriation at bus a bus stations reminds me of the time when I was seeing a girl in, in Leek in uh, Staffordshire. I was living in Wolverhampton, I believe at the time. So, you know, every weekend either I'd go to her or she'd come to me. So I'd end up getting the bus back late from, uh, from Leek bus station and Leek bus station. I think, I think it was Leek bus station had pillars and in the pillars were buttons and you could press the button and, and it would tell you, the bus that would depart from that stop. And it would tell you that like the next time the bus was due to depart. Very, very, very good system. Um, this, this old bloke, I reckon he was maybe 60, came stumbling around the, the, the bus, obviously pissed out of his head. Um, and individually, he went to every single one of them, pressed it, listened to the whole message, and then shouted at the pillar, don't you tell me what to do. <laughs> and I thought it was absolutely, absolutely fabulous. Good Lord. Um, <laughs> Leek is one of those places in the world. Um, I had no idea that you'd ever even been there. I have. Um, yeah, many, many times. The Black Swan, by the way. What a, what a great pub in Leek. Um, so um, I don't know whether you're even aware of this. Um the, the, there's, there's, there's a, um, a musical artefact um, which you and I um, have in common um, and the, 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 the lyrics are actually all about the animal byproducts factory in Leek and Staffordshire. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Oh, that, that was set in Leek, was it? That's one of our old bands. Don't, yes. You don't, need to, you don't need to be shy. That, yeah, that's a, a track called ABP that me and, me yeah. and the doctor, um, we played in a band called Bloodbath Picnic Heroin. And that was probably our, our big hit, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so uh, the, 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 the subject matter of that song, um, I gritted my teeth through almost half a day of temporary work at the Animal Byproducts Factory mm-hmm. um, in Leek. Let's, uh, let's move on to the topic of the week, if we can. Worst injury you have received or you have seen being delivered at a metal concert. What you got for me, Doc? Um, okay, sorry to answer your question with a question. Do therapy count as metal? Uh, I mean, you know, I think I think we've we, we've 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 allowed uh, uh, rage against the machine in the past, haven't we? So I think we can we yeah. can let we can let therapy slip in, can't we? 
Okay. Um, the most egregious injury I've ever seen suffered by a real person um, was at a therapy show, oddly not very far from Leek, mm. um, I believe at Handy Victoria. Mm. Um, and it consisted of um, someone unwelcomely stage diving, being manhandled off the stage, headfirst by the onstage security, then being grabbed by the security behind the barriers. And honestly, I think this was a mistake, but they were grabbed in such a way um, as um, their head bent sideways across one of the bouncer's shoulders. And the space between the shoulder and their neck um, hit the metal barrier with the full weight of their own body. Ouch. um, Behind it. Mm -hmm. After which, obviously, they slipped off the metal barrier and hit the floor mouth first. Jesus Christ. Mm -hmm. Did Um, they move? uh, No. I mean, um, they had to bring in the... um, like the hard stretcher with the straps on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Get them out of there. So that's that's the single most egregious injury I've ever seen um, suffered by a human being at any kind of a metal show. Yeah. Um, the most egregious one um, that's ever happened to me, I'm going to say it was in fact a Slayer show. Um, mm. And I'm going to say it was Nottingham Rock City. Mm-hmm. Um, and once again, with no malice intent whatsoever, um, I don't even think it was crowd surfing. I think someone got picked bodily up by uh, their, their posse mm. and in the process of being thrown laterally, um, both. So the pressure was fairly, fairly well absorbed because it, it, was, it was both boot heels. It wasn't okay. just one boot heel or the edge of one, uh, but both boot heels hit me in the side of the head. Ouch. Um, okay, Doctor. And yeah. um, sent me partially deaf for a couple of days, um, dislodged a tooth. Um, and made me bleed a lot from the nose mm. and mouth. Mm. Um, so let's. Um, so for obviously making sure everyone understands, no malice involved. Yeah. Um, one of those things, wrong place, wrong time. Um, if I hadn't been willing to take the risk, I wouldn't have been in that place at that time. Yeah, and of course, this was before your grotesque mutation started to manifest, wasn't it? So at, at that point in time, you actually still felt pain. So it must have been very uncomfortable. Well, I had a skull. Mm, of course, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, 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 um, I had a mandible with teeth in it. Yes, yes, yes. Horrific. Absolutely awful. Um, How about you? My, yeah, but I've never, to be honest, I've never seen anything particularly gnarly happen um, in front of my eyes. And and the worst that I've experienced was at at a bolt thrower gig um, at a pub called the General Wolf, I think it was in Coventry. Um, Maybe 200 capacity place, maybe 150, 200 capacity, quite a small room. Um, And it was on the fourth crusade tour i believe and you can imagine like the intensity in a, in a room such as that you know people are going absolutely apeshit um were you not supporting bolt thrower at that show no i've never supported unfortunately i've never supported bolt thrower no you no, played no. at the general wolf though um played at the general wolf but i think we were supporting a band called rain at the time r-e-i-g-n rain okay. i think yeah and i think we played with them a couple of times um, if my memory is correct, um, but no, 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 never supported. What a dream world that would be to have supported Bolt Thrower, but no, it never happened. Um, and again, absolutely no malice, just 
in the mosh, everybody's head banging. I got my timing wrong. My head went forward as somebody else's head snapped back. And I got the, like the back of their skull right on the bridge of the nose. Um, <laughs> I, it didn't break. My nose didn't break. I've never broken my nose, which is why I'm so beautiful even to this day. Um, but it, it gushed. It gushed blood. And, and you know, and 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 took a took a long, long time to stop. But it didn't stop me watching and, and enjoying the enjoying the gig, Doc. Let me tell you that it was absolutely sensational. How many metal shows had you been to before you received your first blood? Um, well, it, I think I, I think I kind of got knocked around a bit at my first ever show, which was Slayer as well. But it was at the NEC, strangely enough. Um, so you know, quite a big venue. Um, but I was, I was only 16 years old. I went by myself because I didn't know anybody else that was into that kind of stuff. You know, all of my mates were indie kids, really. Um, and at that time. And <clears throat> so I had to go by. I think my dad took me. My dad was very kind, actually. He took me and just kind of waited in the car park outside for the show to finish. And then, you know, just oh, drove me up. Yeah, really lovely, really, really lovely thing to do. Um and I just got kicked around a little bit, basically. I didn't, I didn't, not the same extremity as the bolt throwing incident, but but certainly there were bleeding, bleeding happened. Um, so yeah, yeah, my virginity was 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 proven in the traditional manner of blood on the cloth, basically. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I was thinking about this. Um, my metal, my metal hymen was broken that night. Yeah, um, it, 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 if you, um, I was thinking about the scene from The Omen, actually. Mm. Uh, I think it might be um, uh, the, the, the second one where uh, teenage Damien takes part in, in, um, uh, in his first fox hunt. Right. Uh, I think it might even be the third one. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the third one. Mm. Um, and no, it's Damien's apprentice who takes part in his first fox hunt, except they, um, uh, they, they're, they're, they're hunting a Templar monk. Um, and the uh, uh, the young lad receives his his, his first blooding mm. um, in the shape of an inverted cross. Yeah. <laughs> um, and um, the 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 first time the first live show I ever shed blood. Um, and you're, you're more than welcome to laugh at this. I believe it was the Fat Tulips, mm. um, and I believe it was the Royal George and Digbeth. Mm-hmm. And I have absolutely no idea what I did to deserve this. Um, but a stout and very angry, I was going to say young woman, not particularly young woman, just decided to punch me in the mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It must have been my face, even in those days when it was relatively human. Um, I've no idea what it was, um, but I was there watching the band. um, And yeah, um, this fairly stout young woman woman put herself approximately at my orbit and hauled off and punched me in the mouth. <laughs> oh, oh, duck. Shall we, um, shall we press on into the, into the episode proper? Sure. Don't forget guys, you can contact us on Twitter at Vercast or on email at slatanicvercast at gmail.com. Uh, do that if you so choose. Okay, welcome to part two of the show. Here we play the track, pause it from time to time to discuss what we're listening to, and generally just get on down. Here we go. 
different vibe, isn't it, Doc? Totally different vibe. Absolutely. A mm-hmm. um, couple of things to say about this. Um, I absolutely love that. Yeah. I love that first 10 seconds of that track. Um, it's, it happens to be one of my favourite things that drummers can do in music, um, just to hang on the cymbals and, 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 and create tension like that. Yeah. Um, and then you get... I was going to say something very untypical for Slayer. What I was going to say was it's something very untypical for Slayer. Um, it's a bit of a, a, a chugging, doomy riff. Yeah, it is. But if you think back across the last six episodes, we've ended up using the phrase something quite untypical for Slayer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really, really quite a lot. It's, it's, just, so, um, it's just a real kind of diversity to their... You know, to their output on this album so far, despite the reputation for it just being kind of a, a speed blitz. Actually, now we're well, kind of dissecting it. We, we, we're finding it's much more, much more complex and diverse than that, than that, aren't we? Let's make a statement, um, and I'll do it, and you can join in if you wish, or you can leave me to twist in the wind by myself if you like. Um, from the very beginning. Slayer have always been a lot more diverse and interesting and had a, a, a much wider spectrum of influences than people have ever given them credit for. Mm-hmm. Um, you're absolutely right. <clears throat> um, peculiarly enough, the very things that this album has become respected and legendary for, now, in hindsight, almost begin to count against it. Because yeah. everyone, know, everyone knows, in inverted commas, this is the Slayer album you go to if you want the, unrem- uh, the, the unremitting violence and speed and aggression. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. That reputation has done the album no harm. Sure. Um, and it's made it one of the, the, the enduring artefacts. Except it's not quite correct, is it? Well, you know, I think so far, of the, you know, this is now track six. Of course, by the way, this is um, criminally insane. Track six from Rain in Blood. Um, I think so far, you know, the, the, the only really kind of unrelentingly fast sections we've really heard would be obviously, you know, some parts of Angel of Death. Piece by mm-hmm. piece is a bit of a is a bit of a blazer. Necrophobia, which I actually criticised Doc for being too fast. Um, you know, I, I, I suggested maybe it was just going over the edge a little bit and then certain parts of ultra sacrifice but in each track it is just kind of certain parts with the exception of necrophobic it's just kind of certain parts rather than the whole track being just you know just non-stop unremitting pace um so no they're, they're mixing it up they are mixing it up there's no doubt about it and this is the most obvious example i think i mean did Dave invent this drum beat? Because I, I, I know from being in bands, you know, we, we, you know, we would say to the to the drummer sometimes, just play the play the criminally insane beat. You know, we literally label it the criminally insane beat. Did Good he Lord. invent it or not? Um, can we listen to a bit more of the track? Yeah. Um, I want to listen to that that beat a bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got some shrewd ideas what the influences might be, but I might turn out to be completely wrong. We're not going to get much more. I think we're going into, in, into the into the vocal section now. I think we only sure. get another little bit of it in kind of in 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 the middle kind of breakdown. But we'll see what happens. Here we go. Mm-hmm. 
So as I say, yeah, so you know that that's kind of the end of the intro. That's the end of that drum pattern for the time being. He does he, he does reprise it, but not but only very briefly, I think. Um, pace wise, here, this is perfect for me, Doc. I love this speed of thrash metal. It's absolutely perfect. I love to listen to it. I love to play it. It's just at the cusp of of kind of what I'm capable of speed wise, which makes it exhilarating to play. It's the absolute outer limits of how fast. Um, I like things to go. Yeah. Um, and there's two reasons for that. Uh, three reasons. If it goes much faster than that, as we observed before, it starts to become parodical. It yeah. starts to it, it, it's it starts to verge on comedy, or at the very least, showing off, which is arguably worse. Because I don't think my musical comprehension mind works all that quickly. Um, it literally it all starts to sound the same and it starts to yeah. sound like a blur of noise. <laughs> it goes much faster than that. It's just drums, drums, and more drums, eh, Doc? Well, it, 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 might, it, it does sound like just drums, drums, and more drums. <laughs> um, and I think, because thrust musicians are still human beings, to play any faster than that, to play that fast, you have to give up so much. Mm-hmm. You may as well forget about any rhythmic complexity, any interesting sounds, any interesting tunes, um, because all of your human energy just has to go into playing that fast. And I'm going to mention something here that, that, that I've meant to mention a few times previously, but it's just never kind of cropped up organically. I want mm. to talk about Jeff Hanneman's guitar playing style. How familiar are you with it, Doc? How, you know, how, how closely have you looked at the way Jeff plays guitar? Not at all. Not at all. That's fair, that's a fair comment. I'm sure. I'm sure. Ninety nine percent of people listening won't have done either. I have because I because I'm just that kind of nerd. Now, here's the thing. I have no fucking idea how he plays so quickly and so accurately with such utterly terrible technique. Um, it's 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 mystifying to me. He plays from his elbow, not from his wrist. Not from his wrist at all. His whole arm is moving. His whole forearm is going up and down. All of the kind of kinetic energy is being generated from the from the elbow joint, not from the wrist. It's 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 incredible to watch. One of the things I I like most about participating in the making of music or being in bands is the chance to look at people who play instruments that are different from the instruments I play. Yeah, um, I'm basically a bass player. I can play guitar a bit. I can play keyboards a bit. Mm-hmm. I can't play any percussion instrument at all. Mm-hmm. I, I, I can't play anything that involves maintaining timing with two different limbs. Yeah, but you can drive a car. So that's curious, isn't it? Because it, it, um, you think it's kind of the same kind of skill, really. Yeah, and um, I have a license for operating a JCB as well. Oh, which is, you know, kind of much more complex mentally, isn't it? Or, or much more um, kind of counterintuitive, I suppose. Well, it, it's um, it's the most mysterious thing for me because you, you you have to master the skill of doing two completely different things with each mm. hand, and then something completely different different with your feet as well. Mm. Mm. Um, but can't play drums. Um, can't even can't even bumtish bumtish thwack. Yeah, I, I can hold a four four, but that's about it, really. I can just about hold a four four beat. I can do like a real simple fill pattern. You know, as, as long as it's just ro- rolling down the toms, you know, something like that. That's about um, the limit. That's about as far as I can get. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm a massively frustrated drummer. Mm. Um, as I've drained my creative well dry on the other instruments that I can play a bit, um, drum patterns and, and, and drumming things that I would love to be able to play with my muscles are the one things that keep uh, one of the things that keep popping into my head. So I, I, I'm a massively frustrated drummer. Yeah, um, I, I, I totally understand that. I'm a frustrated artist. I have beautiful kind of um, kind of vision scapes in my head. Absolutely no way to render them on paper. It's so frustrating. Yeah, interesting that. Yeah. So I'm. Fa- I, I love to watch good guitarists play. Mm. Um, I was always fascinated to watch you play. Um, what you'll notice is, and I think this is the more pronounced when you're able to play a bit yourself. Um, and you watch someone as carefully as you can, and you, you can't help thinking, I can't understand how. I, I, I saw what he did with his hand, but I can't understand how that translated into the notes he played. I yeah, can't get into, it. That, into that melody. Yeah. Yeah, um, sure. I mean, in, um, I heard the melody he played, and given time, I know I could sit down and figure it out by myself, and I could play maybe only half that speed, maybe only half that well, but I could play that melody. I, I could play that part that he just played, but I can't marry up what I'm hearing with my ears versus what I just saw him do with his hand. Mm, yeah, it is interesting. Um, it is interesting. I'm, I'm quite an ungainly uh, guitar player, really, because I don't, I don't use my third finger very much. Um, so, you know, if I learn a tune from tabs and it was, you know, it, it will, it will presume that you're going to play a certain note with your third finger, I'd, whenever possible, I do, I do switch to my, to my little pinky and I don't know why that is. Um, but it, but it makes me look a little bit, uh, uncouth. Obviously. Here's a question. Um, whenever you watch dramatizations of the scenes in which bands form or bands have rehearsals, particularly if they're historical bands. Now, no no band I've ever been involved with or known has ever gone through this audition process, but filmmakers seem unable to get away from it. That They always had the bit where the band audition a rhythm guitarist and a lead guitarist. Yeah. You know that scene? Uh-huh. You with that? Sure. If that happened to you, um, if you had to fill out the application form and apply for one job or the other, which job would you apply for? I'd refuse, actually. No, I just wouldn't, I wouldn't play that game personally. You know, I don't like that. As we've talked about before with Slay, you know, we really admired their um, kind of lack of ego and willingness to share. And I've been very fortunate that in every band I've been in, I've had the same relationship with the with the other musicians. And I just, I just wouldn't play that game, Doc, to be honest. No, it's interesting. Um, I normally find that guitar players have a preference for um, single note lead lines mm. or rhythm and chords. Yeah, no, I like. Um, I, I mean, I like. I like. I like to play. I like to play riffs. I do like. I like to play and write riffs, but I do like like the single, the single picking stuff. But I'm not really that interested in solos. Um, you know, I'm not a very good, I can play a solo, but I'm not very elegant um, and they're not very complicated. And it's because they just don't really interest me very much. Oh, that's fair enough. Um, I, I don't think, when people think of a lead guitarist, I don't necessarily think that's 
the guy who plays the silly solos. Yeah. Um, I think generally people, uh, people who maybe never been in a band um, have got this idea that rock and roll bands have rhythm guitarists and a lead guitarist, and the lead guitarist is the one who plays the bits that go beep, 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 one note at a time, and the rhythm guitarist is, is the guy who has a sense of rhythm. I've never been in a band with more than one guitar player, so I wouldn't even know. Yeah. Um, but I was just curious about that. So we're talking about where this started, Jeff's technique. Um, I've never watched a Slayer video closely enough to particularly pay attention to, to Jeff's technique. Mm. Um, but obviously I know when, when you were coming up a long time ago, um, a really important place where you get you got started was, I, I, I presume, sort of trying to play Slayer tracks. Of course, yeah, for sure. Of the ones you mastered, um, when you got a chance to watch some video clips and watch how Jeff played them, did you ever consider to go back and try to play them using his style? I did, it, it, it never worked that way, Doc, because I, I never watched the videos. It was all by ear and with tabs. So I, I, yeah. it, it was not through watching him play, actually, or watching them play. It, it was just the audio only and, you know, the tabulation, basically. Um, so, And in fact, it's only through us doing this project that I've really focused on this because I've been watching lots and lots of videos and, I, and it just yeah. caught my eye and I thought, oh, my, my, my word, how on earth is he playing at this speed with this precision, with such terrible technique and, 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 and just not snapping strings left, right and centre? That's the bit that... That's the bit I don't understand. How is he not? And how not is he getting, not shredding the shredding the, the strings? I don't get it. And not getting tennis elbow or RSI, one assumes. You know, I don't know. I mean, obviously, he died far younger than he should have done, so maybe that would have been a problem that developed. But um, no, you know, up, as far as I'm aware, he had no problems with his playing up until you know his passing. So. I recommend anybody, anybody listening, and yourself as well, Doc. Just go and check it out, man, because it's a really, really unusual technique. Um, should, 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 we, should we have a listen to another twenty seconds or so? What do you reckon, Doc? Yeah. Here we go. Name that solo, Doc. Here we go. Our favourite game. Name that solo, sir. Right. Um, I'm going to go counterintuitive today, and I'm going to say that was Kerry King. That was Jeff Hanneman. <laughs> you just have a no. You're in a real bad run of form at the moment. Never mind. Doesn't matter. <laughs> And they just swapped. Near the end there, they swap. You can't really hear the swap, can you? You know, so it, it shows kind of by this point in time, they are so kind of fine, that they're so in tune with each other. Even when they're swapping the solos over, you can't really tell. Um, I've got an allied but counter question for the one that you posed a few minutes ago. Um, so you study tab and you try to play along with other people's songs. Um, have you ever taken the trouble to... Um, because I, I, I assume there's stuff about this on the internet. Have you ever taken the trouble to study what gear and setups different musicians which you admire use? I haven't, you know, and, and again, this is like a curiosity of my personality. I don't find guitars very interesting. I play guitar, I love playing guitar, but the actual 
mechanics of it don't really interest me. You know, the other, the, the, you know, the way that other people set up their pedals and things doesn't really interest me. And the and the individual guitars that they play doesn't really bother me. You know, it's, it's to me, it, it, the guitar is a purely functional thing that allows a human being to exhibit their talent, basically. And that's the bit I'm interested in, not the actual piece of equipment. You set me off on something now. Um, I didn't intend to bring this up, but um, you've kind of encouraged you, you've kind of encouraged me to to think about it. Um, I haven't read a guitar a, a, a musicianly paper. Um, what was the thing they used to hand out in um, musical exchanges that you could pick up for nothing? Um, in any case, like I can't remember like a, a, yeah. a, a sort of. Tabloid, a sort of tabloid format newspaper that was basically advertising for the store, but they had interviews. Sure. And the one thing I could never get my head around was go through. The, I'll, I'll, I'll skip the details immediately. I'll go straight to the big question. I can't understand why any guitar player would ever want to copy another guitar player's sound or style. Mm. I, I can't the, understand why you'd do that. I suppose the nearest I, the nearest I get to it is. You know, I, and it's not really based on any particular band. This is more through personal selection. I know that I have a, I have a preference for Laney, Laney amps. You know, that, uh, give me a choice. Give me unlimited funds. You know, I'm going to get the best, the highest quality Laney amp that I can get because I fucking love Laney. You know, I, I, and, I, and I think that's to do with um, kind of the musical style that I choose to play, which is obviously kind of, thrash with death influences and i think laney handles that the best marshall i find just way too trebly to cope with the with the base requirements of of my chosen genres um and then on the guitar side particular brands are like bc rich and maybe that's a slayer thing because i'm pretty sure both of them have played bc rich in their time um if not exclusively and, but I also like um, Ibanez, and that's because I've played more Ibanez than other guitars, and I just find that uh, it's one of these nebulous expressions that seems to baffle people. They've got fast necks. That's all I can say to you. It's really, really difficult to explain. It, somehow, because of the configuration of the Laney guitar, it's easier to play quick on them. Not the Laney guitar, the Ibanez guitar. The only guitar I ever had, which I really loved, um, was a 25 quid piece of crap. Mm. Can't even remember where I got it from. It was likely a secondhand shop. Nobody else I ever handed it to um, ever said it was worth anything at all. Or like, everyone said, like, I can't play this. Um, <laughs> it was the only one I ever really liked. Um, mm. I literally can't even remember what happened to it. It disappeared in a move oh, sometime. No. Oh, uh, that's I, I, I wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't even playing guitar at the time, um, and it was probably quite a while before I even missed it. Mm. I miss it to this day. Um, and honestly, a, a little piece of me died that day, and I've yeah. never been remotely enthusiastic to pick up a guitar since then. Mm. Um, I share that, Doc. I share that because, you know, my guitar that I've had for maybe 25 years is currently in France, and I'm not. So, yeah, I, I, I understand your pain. Um, I remember the Ibanez one that you acquired as a bag of, of uh, uh, as a, a, a parts kit. 
Mm. Um, as a bag of parts. That's the one. That's the, that, that's the very one, and that's still the guitar that you know the, that I technically own to this day, even though it's a thousand miles away. Oh no! Um, yeah, but yeah, that's what happened to mine. Um, like, apart from that, gone out of my way to purchase planks that I can be absolutely unsentimental about. Mm. Um, I. I've never been a good enough musician to particularly warrant a really good instrument. And many people have said to me, and maybe they're right, if you've got a better instrument, you'd be a better player. Mm. I, don't, I fundamentally um, disagree with that philosophy, by the way, but, you know, that's that's up to them. Um, yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, the, the, the people, there have been people who've insisted to me that um, if I just drop the two grand on a 402 or a music man, um, then um, I would begin to enjoy practicing, and as such, I would begin to get better. I'm the, I'm the same, Doctor. When I'm not in a band, even if even if I've got access to my guitar, I barely pick it up. You know, I pick it up from time to time just just to make sure that I've still you know I've still got the chops. But now it's it's not something I do for fun, really. Uh, should we? Should we? Should we? Do another twenty seconds or so, and and, and I think in this in this phase, we're going to hear the reprise of the uh, of the initial drum pattern. So then 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 you can come nice. back on that dock. All right, here we go. <laughs> There we go. Actually, that's the end of the track. So that was uh, track six from Raining Blood. The track, of course, being criminally insane. We've got that little reprise there, but it wasn't quite as complex, was it? It was a very kind of stripped down version of it. You didn't have the snare hits, basically. It, it stripped out the snares. He was just riding the cymbal and on the bass drum. No, None of that syncopation on the snare, which is what makes that, in, that intro so interesting, I think. It's his use of the snare in the intro that makes it sound so unusual? I think what we have to take away from the song, um, it's something that was in the water musically. Um, and it, it was the beginning of something that, um, I wouldn't say popular music, um, the, the outer reaches of popular music were going to begin doing a lot in the few years following this album. And, I can't put it any plainer than um, blurring the lines between what the instruments are doing. In this track, you have a lot of the instruments um, stepping over into each other's territories. So you have the cymbals being used to make white noise that doesn't sound completely unlike guitar feedback. Mm -hmm. You have the guitars whipped up into a, a, a blur. Um, I don't know whether there's reverb on there or whether it's just the speed of playing you're not even supposed to pick the notes apart anymore. You're just to pick out, you're just expect to pick out a sheet of sound. Mm. And so it begins to step into the territory of an instrument that isn't even in Slayer. It begins to step into the way that let's say John Coltrane would play saxophone. Um, or um, let's say someone like 
um, guy thinking me from Van de Graaff Generator would, 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 would use his organ. Mm-hmm. And it's not even to, it's not necessarily what people think of as music. You can't pick out a note or a chord or a scale in there. It's, um, it's a sheet of white noise. That's a really interesting observation, actually. And, 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 and Dave Lombardo's use of the snare in the intro, I mean, could be like the, 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 the alternative for the, for the single pick note, couldn't it really? You know, could, 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 for the first four repetitions, he hits the, the snare on the, on the on beat. And then for the next four, it's on the off beat. And then it's back to the on beat and then, off, and then on the off beat again. It's really, really weird and kind of creepy. And if that was being played on the guitar as like single pick notes, it'd be this like really disturbing, very simple but really creepy melody. Um, but he's doing it on the but he's doing it on the drum instead. We could think of it as maybe the two guitar players and 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 one of them keeping up um, a sheet of feedback or a sheet of excessively reverb noise, and then the other guy punctuating it with single pick. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's absolutely it's it's absolutely great um, for me. Any other thoughts here, Doc? Before we get to the lyrics, as you might have guessed, a whole bunch of them. It's interesting for me to see Slayer taking a drink from whatever was in the water um, at the time. You're you're getting to that point in in in. There's no other word like the, the, the cutting edge of popular. You, you can't call it pop music, but you can't call it rock and roll. Um, the word alternative didn't even exist. Mm-hmm. And even if it did, that expression is fucking meaningless. Mm-hmm. Um, my expression of choice is punk rock, mm-hmm. um, where people are beginning to push, people are beginning to push at the limits of what is even melody, what is even tune. Is so it, at about this time, oh, sorry, um, Dr. Keep, keep that thought, Doc, but before you go on, actually, you know, talking about like labelling and like, genre classification, Kerry King always, whenever he's speaking, refers to their shows as rock shows. That's how he, that's how he, that's how he talks about them. You know, we're a rock band, we play rock shows. That's, you know, from the horse's mouth, basically. Sure. Yeah, um, it's fair I enough. I have it? no objection. I have no objection to people calling their thing um what what whatever they want to call it yeah mm-hmm. um i mean it's the same way that um uh apparently um bob marley always greatly disliked the expression reggae and he could oh, yeah. uh, if uh, if you asked him uh, um he called it soul music oh yeah yeah um, okay mm-hmm. so uh, i mean yeah. what whatever Whatever people want to call their thing is obviously an indisputably fine by me. Yeah, I mean, genre uh, classification is something people really get hung up on, don't they? But uh, I'm just not that kind of um, kind of, kind of pedantic Nazi, essentially. That, like you say, if, if if Kerry wants to call it a rock show, guess what? It's a fucking rock show, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, sorry, Doc, I interjected, please, sir. Um, no, I mean, it, journalists and critics base their careers around. Um, you know, I'm I'm interested in this kind of music. Then uh, it, it's it's no different from someone who has a small construction company saying um, I work in the genre of machine bases or mm. I work in the genre of home improvements. Sure, mm-hmm. um, you've somehow um, just for practical reasons you've you've got to give your job a name so yeah. that people who, so, so so that people know who the fuck they're hiring when they want to hire someone. Mm. Mm. Um, you don't if. If someone puts on their CV jazz critic, um, 
and you're terrorizer magazine, then probably that person is not going to be of great interest for you to hire. Of course, yeah. So I mean, the the labels are forgivable. The label the labels are forgivable because they fulfil a function. When the labels stop fulfilling a function, and when the labels turn into the means for people to categorize things, um, then we get into the exact same distance. We get into the exact same difference between, I guess, national pride and nationalism now, don't we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's um, a bit like, um, infl- you know, Inflames are categorized pretty much everywhere as a melodic death metal band. Um, and, you know, that, that label death metal, you know, if you listen to some Morbid Angel and then you listen to some Inflames, it's hard to really find any commonality. I'm, I'm aware of the problematic aspects of genre um, in areas that go far beyond any kind of music. Um, if you go back to literary critics from the 1920s, um, and you can find people pontificating and stroking their chins about, well, um, is, is, it, is it really fair to categorise Jane Austen as romance? Because romance is such a vulgar genre. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and Jane Austen is actually literature. Um, so, I mean, th- this agonising about certain genres are debased and others are elevated um, and you venerate or demonstrate your admiration for one person by identifying them in a genre and you denigrate somebody else by identifying them with another genre. You know, I mean, Mary Shelley's a good example, isn't she? Because she, uh, my understanding is, and maybe you know more about this than I do, um, you know, it, it was... Her, 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 obviously, her Frankenstein novel was um, it, it was met with incredulity, but just based on the fact it was written by a woman. It couldn't be a like a horror novel, you know. So it's got to be classified as because it's written by a woman. So it has to be a, 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 like a romance novel, even though the like the deep rooted themes are clearly grounded in horror. Well. Um, you're coming up with an excellent example because what do you do when you have one book that invents three genres? Mm-hmm. I mean, for instance, that one, um, it's a completely original work. It mm-hmm. had, Frankenstein has got nothing to do with gothic romance. No, there's no antecedent, is there? There's no antecedent, no. really. Uh, and, it's, it, but, it's, it's cut from clean cloth, effectively. And, you know, you, you've got a book that at one stroke invented gothic horror and feminist science fiction, mm. and I would argue cyberpunk, mm-hmm. um, and um, I would argue invented body horror at the same time. Mm-hmm. And um, she was so just I'm, a bird. Who'd have thought it? <laughs> yeah, who'd have thought it? Yeah. So I mean, what when when you're trying to apply historical categorizations to one of those artifacts that invented at least one or two. Um, and you you see people struggling with this all the time. Um, the, the, there, was, there was a funny thing on YouTube I watched the other day, um, and it was people genuinely addressing the question of, um, what did people call shoegazing before they called it shoegazing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, since I was there and I can answer it, I, I, I can answer this very very clearly. They didn't call it anything. There wasn't a name for it. Right. Yeah. Um, Just a collection of bands. Well, no, um, they weren't even lumped. They, they they didn't know each other. They didn't necessarily yeah. play on the same shows. Oh, right. So um, it wasn't a scene. No, I mean, uh, the, there's 
My Bloody Valentine were in Dublin. Jesus and Mary Chain were in Glasgow. Mm-hmm. Um, the telescopes were in Oxford. They were all lurking about at a, at a kind of the same time, and they used lots of feedback and lots of noise, and they couldn't play very well. But, I mean, no, nobody ever thought of any of, of, of those three bands as being part of a coherent scene. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting, isn't it? Now... Because you get like uh, the likes of Mogwai and um, like Godspeed You Black Emperor, for example. They seem to get lumped together. When I listen to it, I, I can't re- apart from the apart from the length of the songs and the use of feedback, I can't really see anything they've got in common. But but they seem to be treated as if they are almost I- identical. Um, you'll often find it's just the one person. In the case of those two bands, I'm going to say it's Bob Weston. Mm. Um, I'm going to say Bob Weston was a member of one and did some production work for one of the others. Bob Weston, is that, is that the dude from uh, Shellac? He's the bass player say? from Shellac, yeah. Yeah, um, okay. And he, he was also in uh, Volcanic Sands. Um, I, I, I think he's been in Godspeed You Black Emperor. He was also in Rachel's for a bit. He was also in Juno 44. Uh, um, he's been about. Well, he's... Um, He's a working musician and a working studio engineer, and mm. he likes to play a lot of music. And he's he's got a lot of friends, and a lot of people invite him to join their band for a little while. Yeah, and my God, um, he's absolutely brilliant, isn't he? As well, so yes, that, really that helps. That helps. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Go on, Doc. Any, any final thoughts before we press on to the lyrics, sir? Um, no, I mean it's it's really a, a watch the space thing. Um, so it's. On the one hand, it's me reversing myself or not reversing myself, taking account of some misconceptions that I had going into this album. Point number two, it's me, um, I think, spotting something I've never noticed before, um, which is this track oddly keeping pace with trends that were happening in as genre or group of genres of music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is how we got onto that huge digression in the first place. <laughs> Welcome to part three of the show, which we call Evil Speak. Um, here we read through and discuss the lyrics that Tom is generally bawling at us. So here we go. Uh, verse one. And I will follow all my victims till tomorrow. Make it fast through time of sorrow. On this trail, I'll make you follow. Night will come and I will follow for my victims. No tomorrow. Make it fast your time of sorrow. On his trail, I'll make you follow. Okay, Doc. Mm. I'm going to interrupt you for a second. Yeah. Um, Sorry, something I can give you approaching a definitive answer. Um, the connection between Godspeed You Black Emperor and Mogwai goes like this. Go on. Godspeed You Black Emperor contained in one of their incarnations one former member of Slint. Another former member of Slint formed the Four Carnation. Um, and Mogwai supported the Four Carnation on their UK tour in 1995. Mm. Um, and um, Mogwai's label, Chemical Underground, had some sort of relationship with Godspeed You Black Emperor's label, which was either um, Blast First or Quarter Stick or maybe Touch and Go. Mm-hmm. There you go. So there's some DNA kind of carried through. Yes. Um, yeah, which some kind of which some hack at the NME decided was 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 enough to lump them all together effectively. 
Yeah. Makes no right. sense to me, but there we go. Good good knowledge, Doc. Good knowledge. Um, on these lyrics, um, I mean, the first three lines seem pretty self-evident. I don't think there's any 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 mystery here. It's not till track not to line four that I I've got questions for you, Doc. On his trail, I'll make you follow. So whose trail and who's following who? That's my question to you, Doc. This is another one of these slayer songs about lunatic uh, about murderous lunatics yeah um, and this is the second maybe the third time we've met one of these songs that where the, the, there appear to be two participants in the narrative yeah, that's, that's my that's my impression um so i've got to bring up the same questions again um because maybe i think the same questions are still applicable and maybe we'll get different answers this time um so same questions are we talking about one person with a severe personality maladjustment. Are we talking about two distinct people? So, for instance, the last time we discussed the possibility, is it a criminal and a detective? Is it a criminal and an executioner? Oh, yes. Is it a criminal and a psychologist? Uh-huh. Um, or is it just the one person with a severely split personality? Yeah, and that goes back to Hello Waits. I can't remember the track from Hello Waits. Um Maybe Crypts of Eternity or Hardening of the Hardening of the Arteries. I can't. I can't quite remember. Um, well, I think we addressed it most recently on the second track on this album. Oh, you're quite right, actually. Yes, which is of course piece by piece. Yeah, you, you, you're spot yeah. on, Doc. Yeah, yeah, more recent than I thought. Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, so did, I agree with you. This there definitely seem to be two combat, maybe not combatants, but two two um, protagonists or antagonists, whichever way you want to perceive them. Um, you know, so is it is it a killer, almost like with an apprentice who's kind of teaching him the ropes? Is that a possibility? From this first verse, I'm thinking of a, a situation kind of like the one in um, Interview of the Vampire, but with a serial killer. Mm-hmm. I get the idea it, it's 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 a journalist or a groupie or someone who has managed to somehow get close to the serial killer and having the, not even a serial killer, um, to, to this murderer. And, and, and the murderer is now explaining his MO. Mm. Mm. Um, that's what I can get closest to from this verse. You know, it, it, it totally makes sense. I love those first two lines, night will come and I will follow for my victims, no tomorrow. I mean, it scans brilliantly. It sets the scene perfectly. It leaves me no doubt as to the subject of the song. Um, I mean, not least because of the title, I suppose. Um, so it's a great it, it's a great kind of little couplet to, to introduce it. Make it fast, your time of sorrow. But th- th- that's curious to me as well. Make it fast, your time of sorrow. I mean, who's saying that? Because if it was the killer, surely the killer would want to kind of prolong the suffering, not not make it like a fast event. I'm, I'm, a, bit, I'm a bit baffled. I'm going to put a couple of points to you here. Um, night will come and I will follow. Um, I think we are meant to be thinking about the dual meaning of the, the expression come. Um, night will come as in night will fall, it mm-hmm. will get dark, and I will follow, meaning I will ejaculate. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I, I did. I did actually consider that, but I must be honest, Doc. I rejected it. Okay. I rejected it as as, as a possibility, but 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 I like the way you're thinking. It certainly crossed my mind. Um, I I think that's a 
just a totally literal line. Um, but but I, I, I certainly don't don't discount your theory there at all. Let's follow it through for a second. Make it fast. Your time of sorrow. I believe the time of sorrow, the little sadness, uh, the um, petit moelle is occasionally a euphemism for an orgasm. Mm, or to, and make it fast. I mean, it, it, yes. it, it follows through, doesn't it? It, yeah. really, it, it does work. I, I, I'm not dismissing it out of hand, Doc, you know, but I, I'm just, I don't know. I'm not entirely buying it, but 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 but, but I see your logic. Um, I'm speculating. I'm, yeah, I'm, no, I'm, of course. I'm not... I mean, that, 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 that's the nature of this part of the, of, of the episode, isn't it, really? Yeah, I'm not asserting certainty at all. Um, yeah. On his trail, I'll make you follow. So who's um, he and who's you? So he, I presume, is the victim. So the mystery is who's you? Well, who, who's who's whose trail? Mm. Is it a reference to an out of narrative murderer? So you, you he's suggesting like a copycat event here. Kind of, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. If you were tasked with writing a prayer, a um, prayer? Did you say? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, if, if, if someone told you to write a prayer or a mm. verse of a hymn, um, you wouldn't think twice, would you, about using the metonym hymn, meaning God? If no, you but, use the word hymn. No, but you would capitalise it, I would say, because I considered that on his trail, if that was capitalised, I would suggest that it was kind of Satan's trail, basically, you know, kind of doing kind of satanic, evil, devilish things. So but it's not capitalised. And, and that's why... It's not capitalised, so it's not a reference to a deity. It's mm -hmm. a reference to an out-of-narrative character yeah. um, who we are expected to understand. Mm -hmm. um, are we expected to understand in the greater context of the album? Are we expected to understand it? Um, is it a call forward? Um, is there going to be another song in the future that will make that his obvious? Mm -hmm. um, or is it just someone we're supposed to know about? Mm. Um, and the obvious example is if you're if you're steeped in metal mythos, mm. um, there might be any bunch of people who it might be. I have a candidate for who it might be, assuming I'm right, mm -hmm. or assuming there's anything in, in in this theory. Let's carry on. Are you holding that back? Are you docky teasing us a little bit? Um, yeah. If I turn out to be wrong, um, I will confess. Verse two. What the fuck could he have said? This dreadful life I must remain I'm a sort of left me to a grave To try again I have no other way Quarters for the criminally insane The sentence read for life I must remain The, past, the path I chose has led me to my grave To, to try again I'd have no other way um, I mean my first question is quarters What the fuck, what the fuck does that word mean? Quarters for the, I mean, Is it like quarters like like in a military barracks, or no, referencing uh, like a jail. Um, yeah, um, it, it's not necessarily a a, a jail, um, an, an abode, an mm. abiding place. Um, mm. uh, the most obvious pop culture reference you can mine out of this verse is Silence of the Lambs, isn't it? Oh, you go on, like, like Buffalo Bill's den, effectively. Um, well, uh, like Hannibal Lecter's den, mm -hmm. um, when um, I mean. A, we're a few years ahead of time with the song. The lyrics wouldn't be completely out of place in that scene, like um, Cloud Stalling's first meeting with Hannibal Lecter. Sure, yeah. Mm -hmm. The whole batch of lyrics would not be completely out of place in that scene. 
Yeah, no, you're quite right. You're quite right. Um, um, the sentence I mean, read... Oh, go on, Doc, sorry. Didn't mean, well, to, inter- um, didn't mean to cut you short. Completing my, my, my little teaser from earlier on, that his, um, I would say, <clears throat> we're in advance of the film. I don't know if we're in, in, in advance of the book. I don't know if it's a possible reference point. But in that case, the, the, the his is Buffalo Bill, isn't it? Well, I mean, exactly. I mean, I reference Buffalo Bill, and and it's it's certainly plausible. I'm going to have a quick uh, a quick fact check. Um, when did Silence of the Lambs come out? The book. I suspect it was after this because I think it was a pretty fast turnaround. You know, I'm thinking the film came out. Was it 1990, 1991? I'd be very surprised if the book was much later than 90. Oh, well, and I'm totally wrong. Um, First published in oh no 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 I was pretty pretty close actually 1988 so no the album predates that book by at least two years. In that case, um, we have stumbled across evidence of an unacknowledged, an unacknowledged influence on the Silence of the Lambs. Mm-hmm. You're suggesting uh, that Thomas Harris is a massive Slayer fan? Um, no, I think they're shared source material. Mm, okay. Oh yes, I see that. That's more plausible. Um, yeah. I think there's a long forgotten pulp book or shitty detective story somewhere, mm-hmm. um, which both of them read. Um, because on the evidence of those two verses, um, I'd say the coincidences are too close to sure. be mere coincidences. Sure. Um, the sentence read, for life I must remain. And, th- and this is why I, I question whether Quarters was referring to like a, to a jail cell basically, because the sentence read, would that be a sentence in court for life? I must remember, so that's life in prison? Yeah, well, let's think about the other meaning of quarters. Go on. In this case, um, which is a a display of mercy. As far as I know, it's only generally in use in naval warfare, where it would be common practice for naval commanders upon commencement of battle. Um, to say something along the lines of no quarter asked or given. Yeah, give him no quarter, for example. Yeah, for example. yeah that's very, very interesting, Doc. I, I, I hadn't thought of that usage of the word because that is so specific, isn't it? Yeah. Um, so in that case, what we're referring to, um, it's a reference to both. So if you like, um, life imprisonment in solitary confinement in the perspect box in those quarters is nevertheless quarters or mercy of some kind yeah um for someone who presumably deserves execution sure yeah yeah or or or, or you know certainly in in america in the american justice system somebody who committed those kind of heinous acts if they weren't in a state that um sanctions execution they would certainly be in some kind of max you know maximum security penitentiary in a in in pretty pretty trying conditions I don't actually know um, how, what should we say, extreme serial killers um, are uh, detained. Well, um, I, I think they're, they're they're generally, you know, from what I've read, they are it, kind of in a strange way. They are more privileged than the regular inmates because, by necessity, they are separated from. The rest of the of the prison, um, and kind of, almost kind of, almost by way of kind of compensating for that, I think they you know they they, they live relatively good li- lives when they're inside. 
I mean, one would imagine that it would be very, very damaging to, if you're attempting to run an institution whose aim, however superficially, is to rehabilitate people, you would imagine that having an unrepentant serial killer around um, would be very, very harmful to the process of trying to rehabilitate the other 1,000, 2,000, 3,000. Yeah. Um, when you someone, when if you have someone who might be disparaged or might be murdered themselves, but might just as easily become the object of a cult, Mm, mm. Or might start of a, might might start attracting followers. Mm. Yeah, we got. I don't um, only hanging up. I don't only hanging out with him. He's a bad influence, basically. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> if you accept that a function of prison is rehabilitation and basically keeping people away from bad influences, um, then a serial killer could, in an environment which is composed of many, 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 actually rather impressionable and easily led young men. Mm-hmm. Um, a serial killer, I, I, I think, could have a great risk of becoming a cult figure or a, 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 a leader. They, they, they do die quite frequently in prison, though, don't they? Jeffrey Dahmer was murdered. Uh, Fred West took his own life. Um, I think uh, Ian Huntley um, was, was murdered as well. You know, so th- there does seem to be kind of a pattern of these people not lasting too long inside, whether, you know, whether they're killed by other inmates or whether they take their own lives. I don't know. Uh, Jeffrey Dahmer I knew about. Now, the interesting thing is that the story of, of, of Jeffrey Dahmer's murder, as I heard it, it was almost incidental. He was killed because he was the witness to a premeditated murder of another inmate. I mean, that's certainly not, not what I've read, and I've, I've read that quite. I've read it quite recently on Wikipedia. So, you know, take take that as you will. Um, but he was a, he, he was shanked, but he was shanked in the shower. Basically, there's some kind of some kind of beef with another prisoner. What you know, one prisoner kind of kept lookout, and 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 the one with the beef, you know, had crafted some kind of improvised weapon um, and shanked him in the shower. Interesting. Mm. Um, I yeah. Um, I'm going to have to research that. Mm. Um, we'll, we'll, do, we'll, we'll do that in the corrections. So I think we've mined this verse. As much I think as so. We can have it at the moment. Let's move on. Verse three. What's for the criminally insane? It's me as nothing come again. Soon to be our leave without trace. Engages me to end the human race. Quarters for the criminally insane. So we've got the, the repeat of the line. Um, escape for me has fast become a game. Soon to be, I'll leave without a trace. Endangered species end the human race. So we've got the repetition of that of that first line again. Just so that they're obviously one, they're, you know, they obviously want to emphasise that for some reason. Um, escape for me has fast become a game. You know, my obvious question is, escape from what? Um, well, escape from prison. <clears throat> okay. Um, I assume that the, the, the character um, regards the mechanics of escaping from prison as, as, as being trivial or a mere formality. Mm. Um, presumably, he's taking advantage of the shelter and nutrition that he's able to obtain for free. Um, mm. But he's in no doubt in his own mind he can leave any time he wants. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's, part, it's kind of part of the delusion, I suppose. Um, and, and, and that ties into the next line, soon to be, I'll leave without a trace. So th- there's like a cockiness to that, isn't there? You know, it's undoubted. I'm definitely going to escape. 
Yeah. Um, now, <clears throat> I am... Um, here's where I'm going to ask you to do a bit of an edit, because I'm going to do a bit of a fact check myself here. Oh, oh it's... Um, no, um, let's leave it in. Uh, show myself up. So end the edit, three, two, one. I was planning on going doing uh, going and doing a fact check. Um, shouldn't do that. I should confess my ignorance. There is a serial killer, not Jeffrey Dahmer, and I don't think John Wayne Gacy either, but one of those at about that same time, um, who, if I've got this right, did leave prison um, by himself at least once and then return, and his departure and return wasn't even noticed. Mm -hmm. Oh, fascinating, yeah. And then when he did escape, when he did go on the lam, he managed to remain at large and commit several more murders for um, at least several months. Mm -hmm. And there is the likelihood that if, if he hadn't taken up his old ways again, he may have remained at liberty until his natural death. We've, we've, we've got a character here who is definitely cocky or confident or overconfident or possibly delusional mm. about the fact that the, the mechanics of their escape, the practicality of their escape is trivial and can be mm. easily accomplished. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, that, that, that does kind of tie in with what, what, what we know about serial killers generally is that they are, you know, they are delusional. They are incredibly arrogant individuals with, with just no grasp on reality, really. So it is logical. Endangered species end the human race. So the endangered species, I presume, is kind of this um, opinion of himself, effectively, that he is the endangered species. It's the, more Nietzsche. It's more Nietzsche stuff, isn't it? Mm, I think. Well, I think they're, they're kind of like the Superman, aren't they? You know, they're, they're like yeah. the next, the next stage of evolution, basically. That's right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it, it, it's 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 classic. Um, you might even say Ayn Rand, but basically Nietzsche stuff. Um, nobody has the right to imprison me. Um, mm. I have the will to murder. Um, you know, I I, I I have the will to do what you pathetic insects mm. do not have the will to do. Therefore, you pathetic instinct, uh, insects have, have, have no right to judge me or incarcerate me at all. And that, and that line end the human race. That's that's manifest of the delusion, isn't it? You know, I mean, maybe yeah. this maybe this person has killed. Let, let, you know, let's be generous. Maybe, maybe they've managed to kill twenty people, but you know, kill, even if you kill two hundred, two thousand, that does not represent the end of the human race, does it? No, I mean, if if we go right back to the beginning of the album, um, and you know, I, I think probably the most notorious individual mass murderer of the 20th century never made any claims to being able to end the human race. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't think he even laid claim to being able to prosecute the final solution mm. all by himself. Mm -hmm. So it's interesting stuff. Um, anything else to say on, on, on that particular verse, Doc, or should we get on to the last one? I don't know whether to try and make something more of this line. Is it just to force a rhyme? Um, soon to be, I'll leave without a trace. Now, you you can't absent yourself from prison without leaving a trace now, can you? Mm -hmm. But maybe, you know, maybe implicit is kind of, I'll leave without a trace, bracket, open brackets, of the way I escaped, close brackets. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I just wanted to raise the point. Is he anticipating complicity? From a fellow inmate, effectively, or maybe or, from from that from that first person that was previously following from verse one. Correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so he's, who, he's got an accomplice. Um, who we might assume is an authority figure, or a judge, or a politician. But it's got, or a prison guard, perhaps. Some, someone with the authority, someone with the authority and the ability to engineer his departure or escape from prison, literally without a trace. So yeah. all, the paperwork, all the paperwork is accounted for. Ah, yes, yes, that's interesting. Accounted for. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah, because if it was the prison guard, the paperwork would still be there, wouldn't it? So, so you know, so yeah. that person still exists in the system. But, but if, right. it's somewhat, if it's somewhat, if it's somebody higher up, you know, maybe maybe they have a way to go in and um, like delete the records and tear up the files, etc. Or sign a pardon, or yeah. um, somehow like put an end to the conviction. There's there's there's, there's a there's a confidence. The, what makes me think there's an accomplice or an authority figure um, is back in verse one on his trail. There's there's this reference to this external third party, mm-hmm. um, and then there's this. It's not delusional overconfidence. Um, whoever is giving this testimony is saying very, very confidently and very quietly and very unthreateningly, um, escape from me as fast to become a game. Um, unarrogant confidence to the extent of stating the fact. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's let's get on to the next two verses because we, 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 we might even get some answers here. Well, actually, we're on to the final verse, I believe, are we not? Yeah, the final verse, here we go. Branded in pain, marked criminally insane, locked away and kept restrained. Disapprobation, but what have I done? I have yet only just begun to take your fucking lives. What a great verse. I absolutely love this set of lyrics. Branded in pain. I mean, it's, it's a potent image, isn't it? That just branding in general is always evocative and you know, it kind of makes you flinch just thinking about it. I like it. Of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and what's this a reference to? Because obviously no one is actually branded criminally insane in mm-hmm. any first world penal institution. No. No one actually has a... a, a, a a hot iron and the words criminally insane marked on their forehead. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is a reference to stigmatism, isn't it? Once someone has been stigmatized with being criminally insane or institutionalized at all. Um, and the only conclusion you can draw from this is that whoever this narrator is, they've got something to lose by being branded as criminally insane. They're not a skidro loser. They're not. Uh, your average kind of serial killer drifter who moves from one construction site to the next and one flop house hotel to the next and changes their name frequently. The, whoever is narrating this song is somebody. It's Patrick Bateman, isn't it? You know, it's, it's that kind of figure. Yeah. Yeah, someone like that. You know, just as a reference, you know, Patrick, for anybody unfamiliar with the reference, Patrick Bateman is um, the central protagonist of Brett Easton Ellis's, what's it called, Doc? American American Psycho. Psycho. Yeah, American Psycho. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, like like, like a loose, um, yuppie sort with a file of facts and business contacts and, you know, lots of money. And what does he choose to do with it? Well, go around murdering prostitutes, basically. Um, Here's a question. In American Psycho, 
Do you believe that Patrick Bateman murders anyone? Well, it, 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 I mean, it, 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 it's the age-old question. It, it's a question as old as time itself, Doc, isn't it, that one? Um, you know, it, 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 is, is he just a mass fantasist or did it actually happen? I, I, I think it's deliberately obtuse. Um, I can't remember why, and I was hoping you could tell me, there was a specific bit in the book, and I came away from the book um, with the earnest impression that he'd never killed anyone, that he, he, he never actually killed anyone. Um, the bit for me that, makes, that made me question it, I can't remember the exact details, but it involves a rat. And he does something ghastly to somebody with it, by virtue of a rat. Um, I can't, I can't I think, remember the details of it, but, but I, I just found it so implausible. I thought, no, that, that, that could not have happened. That can only have happened in your mind. I think there's a bit where he, he murders a business rival who mm. is then quite clearly present in a following scene. Oh, really? Oh, there you go. That's yeah. even more. Yeah, that's even more concrete, isn't it, I suppose? Um, yeah. So I, 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 I finished that book with the firm opinion that... <coughs> Had, had never murdered anyone ever. But uh, I think Brett Easton Ellis would argue that, that 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 was like a deliberate broken back structure, basically, just to throw you off the scent. But you know, who knows? Well, I, I think it's probably fair to say if you're reading that book to try and solve the murder mystery, um, you're probably missing the satire now, aren't you? You're kind of missing the point, aren't you? Really, that's true. Yeah, yeah that's true. Um, locked away and kept restrained, disapprobation. But what have I done now? Again, brilliantly. Every so often, Slayer drop a word in, and I have to. I have to look it up. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll be honest. I did not know what disapprobation meant. I know what kind of opprobrium means, like a sense of opprobrium. I understood that, so I, I knew it was connected to that. But I didn't specifically. I couldn't quite nail it in my head. Here's what I got from um, on dictionary online: strong disapproval, typically on moral grounds you see my imagination of disapprobium i always imagine a stern but well-meaning social worker sitting you down and saying now i have to explain to you why what you did was wrong that's right yeah 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 there's, um, there's kind of a well, like a lecturing element to it isn't there really yes um, yeah i totally agree that thing that you did, you tell me why you think it was wrong. Disapprobation, it's something you would receive from the prison psychologist, isn't it? What, what was the word, Doc? In, um, was it in, I think it was an angel of death. Like, the fabulous word for the, you know, the, 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 the protect, I mean, possibly apocryphal. Um, torture technique of burning somebody's eyes out by holding like a, a hot metal plate so close to their eyes that they fucking boil out of their heads. Uh, yeah, uh, I can't remember. I can't remember. Um, we'll, we'll, we'll put that in the corrections, man. Yes. I can't I, I can't remember, but it's it, it absolutely felt. So I do like it when Slayer get the thesaurus out from time to time. Uh, but it, it's it's such a beautiful use. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it, it's not... They picked a word here that doesn't mean that means the exact opposite of there's a hate-filled lynch mob outside waiting to burn me with torches and pitch. Yeah, and, um, and, and I like the end of the line. But what have I done? There's like a sense of injustice to it, isn't it? He's frustrated. What have I done? You know, what, it's like Mario Balotelli when he when he lifted his shirt up and, and he said, "Why always me?" You know, it's got that kind of it's got that kind of vibe to it, that kind of sense. 
if you are a calculating cold-blooded serial killer, it's the natural thing to reply to the prison psychologist. If you want to stay on your cushy number, um, the first thing you've got to do is make sure you're worth the prison psychologist's next dissertation. Mm-hmm. You've got to keep yourself interesting for him. Yeah. So your first meeting with a prison psychologist, what you are not going to do is put your head in your hands and go, I'm so sorry, I'm yeah. so sorry, I wish I could. And what you're going to do is every hour of every day, the first thing you're going to do is sit there, well, what have I done? Mm. Yeah, you're, going to get you're, all, you're going to get all mind hunter on their asses if you know that yeah, reference, um, Doc. Yeah. yeah. If, if, if you're the psychologist, why don't you tell me what is wrong? What, why, yeah. why it's wrong? That's right. Yeah. Um, I like what it. have I done? Um, yeah. I know what I'm an expert in. I'm not the expert. I'm not the expert in right and wrong. You're the expert in right and wrong. You tell me why it was wrong. What have See, I I'll, done? I'll read it. I'll read it a little bit differently. I read like the tone of it a little bit different. Disapprobation. But what have I done? It, I read it slightly differently to you, Doc. I, I think what, what he's saying is, what have I done? I haven't even got fucking started yet. You're criticising oh, me now. You're criticising me now. And I, have, I haven't even begun what I intend. Going back to your, your, your thing about Patrick Bateman a moment ago, is there any possibility that the character has been... Um, is 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 he at the wrong end of a miscarriage of justice? Has 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 he been wrongfully convicted? I don't think so, because that cockiness yeah. would not be present, would it? You know, the cockiness suggests, um, and in fact, the next two lines kind of discount that theory. Really, when he gets boastful, I have yet only just begun to take your fucking lives. You know, there, 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 there's no denial there. There's you know, there, there's no acceptance of guilt. It's just you know I'm I've, you know I've just I've only just started motherfucker. You wait and see. I'll go with you on that one. Yeah, mm. um, it was a point I thought worth bringing up. Well, certainly, certainly, yeah, and that brings us to the end of the end of the lyrics. Really, I think they're I think they're pretty strong, particularly that that, that last verse. I absolutely love. Um, you know, ju- you know, just the, the the use of the thesaurus pleased me greatly, and and, and then the you know almost like the. Ending on a threat, you know, I like it a lot. I really, really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, strong, strong stuff. I think this is the first time of um, we've encountered Slayer Whimsy um, that's fully aware of the effect it has. In the past, it's cropped up by accident, and it hasn't precisely undermined the lyrical texture. Um, it's just made me titter a bit. Yeah. Yeah, um, no Slayer mythos in this track, as far as I can perceive, Doc. Unless, unless you spotted any, I did. I did oh. wonder if, if if the two, you know, that that hint of the two protagonists could be one of them is some kind of demonic, shadowy figure. But I don't think the rest of the lyrics back that up at all. Anything else saying the lyrics, Doc, or should we get on to our final wrap-up thoughts? Let's get on to the final wrap-up thoughts. <laughs> Welcome to part four of Satanic Vercast. Here, we just offer our final thoughts and summations and discuss anything we might have inadvertently missed along the way. But of course, before that, the usual details. Writing credits here, we have music by Hanneman and King, lyrics by Hanneman and King. According to Setlist, this track was played by Slayer 157 times, putting it in 53rd position overall. The first play, 
was at the Moore Theatre in Seattle on the 31st of October 1986. Not the first time we've seen that name, by the way. Um, and the last play was at the Riot Fest in Colorado in 2014. And that was the last time they played Rain in Blood in its entirety. Um, here's the Loudwire extract. Loudwire is the, the website that we take these little extracts from. So go and check that out. That's the citation. Comes in on their list of ranking all of Slayer tracks in order at number 28. So quite, quite lofty. Um, and here's what they say about it. One of the many short, sharp shocks on Raining Blood. Cruelly Insane starts with a 4-4 beat augmented by a rapidly struck ride symbol. I don't quite agree it's a 4-4 beat, by the way. I think it's kind of a broken back 4-4 beat, but we'll leave that aside. Mm -hmm. um, augmented by a rapidly struck ride symbol. And while the song doesn't reach warp speed for more than 30 seconds, the off-kilter opening riffs are insanely heavy. Actually, he does reference the off-kilter there, so fair enough. Yeah. The song slingshots between thrash and mid-paced tempos. And when the song peaks, the tension is heightened by wild guitar solos. There's also some trademark minor key licks in there that help make Slayer a band fans could recognise with their ears plugged up. The lyrical highlights, I have yet only just begun to take your fucking life. As ever, to be honest, with, with, with this Loudwire article, I agree with pretty much every word. I think they're very, very good. Final thoughts then, Doc, before you, uh, before you deliver your score. Once again, another really great song. Yeah. Um, it's becoming almost a cliche for me to say this now, but as I said at the beginning, um, it's untypical for this album. Mm. Um, <laughs> this is a bit like, um, well, th this is the very nature of what we discussed in the last episode, which is a truism, isn't it? You know, um, yeah. you know, something that's oft repeated, uh, a bit like, I don't know, James Milner is underrated as a football player. But when every fucking person says that, well, he's not underrated, is he? You know, um, it's, it, that, that's the definition. But the peculiar thing is that we're original sources. Um, my original source for this album was you. I didn't get into it because of some magazine article or something. Yeah. Um, I believe my critical faculties are as good as anybody else's. And I came into this project with the idea very firmly fixed in my head that this whole album was nothing but heads down, dig your fingernails into the palms of your hands and get through it. Relentless sure. brutal speed and intensity and aggression. Sure. Um, and I mean, no one is turning out to be more surprised than me, once you look at it closely, how many colours it, 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 it has and how many different shades it has. Yeah, it's, quite, it's, it's reminiscent of, of Show No Mercy, really, isn't it? You know, we, I think we both went into, into their first album, Show No Mercy, expecting like a real kind of uh, cliche fest that would be very, very difficult to listen to. But what we actually found was a really kind of diverse, you know, strangely mature and confident debut album, you know, so... Yet again, um, yet yeah. again, they are delivering above expectations, I suppose. Um, delivering a, a, both above and different. I mean, uh, yeah, um, that, that, that first album um, surprised me in all kinds of good ways. Mm -hmm. um, and, but then I didn't know it very well. This is an album I thought I knew really well. And you're learning as we progress through that, in fact, you know, the... the you just haven't listened to it as much as you thought you had. That's right. Yeah. Or maybe I haven't listened to it as carefully as I thought I had. Sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, for me, it's 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 a great it's, it's a great song. I love the dynamics. I love 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 
that kind of broken back uh, rhythm that that, 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 that that Dave supplies at the start and then and then kind of briefly but not really reprises halfway through um I love like the dark doomy nature of, of some of those riffs it's pretty you know as far as Slayer goes it's pretty heavy because they because they are kind of palm muting a lot of it, even though even though it's being played played at blistering pace, they're still managing to to mute those to mute those strings. Um, Tom's delivery, we haven't touched on that at all. I think he sounds just about as furious as, as, as we've as we've heard him sound in this. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you know, there's a kind of real potent energy and aggression to his voice, and the lyrics are pretty damn good as well. So, I mean, overall. I'm, I'm, I'm finding it difficult to find fault, I must be honest. I find fault, and this is not their fault, it's mine. That bit at the end where it goes into the section of white noise, I was itching and hoping, and I just wished they'd stomp on the reverb yeah. and keep up the intensity. And I, I really wish they'd go into the, you know, um, Hurricane, inner wind tunnel, shrieky, howly feedback, reverb, and I wish they'd kept that. I, I, I wanted them to do that and keep it up for about three minutes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, are, you, are you ready to pronounce, Doc? So at least this time we can clock in an, a, an episode under an hour and a half. You know, you know the last episode. Do you, do you know how long it was when I edited it? No. This, this is the Jesus Saves episode. Episode thirty. Yeah. Two hours seven minutes, Doc. I, I could Good do Lord. no better. I could do no better. So, listeners, we do apologise, but we just love talking about Slayer, so we're not forcing you to listen. Just turn it fucking off if you're not happy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> do you want to pronounce, Doc? Are you ready, are you ready to give you give you liquescent swords or not? I am, yes. Yeah, go on then. Unhesitatingly, eight. Eight, yeah. I thought I thought you might have crept up to a nine, but I'm not surprised by the eight. Um, Doc, you know what? Second week in a row... It's getting ten. It's getting ten Ooh. mouldering Mohu's skulls. I think it's absolutely fabulous. And you know, one of the three or four cuts off the album that I would put on as a standalone song, and that and that's why it gets the ten out of ten. I love it. I think it's good. I wish, I wish they'd taken the two most interesting. No, I wish they'd taken the two bits I like the best and mm. made them longer. <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair enough. But you know, the 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 nature of the album is that they, you know, they're they're kind of cranking through the songs in two and a half minutes. That's just the nature of the beast, I think. That's right. Um, that's it. I think. I think. I think we're all done, aren't we, Doc? I think so too. Um, I think we are. Don't forget, you can contact us on Twitter at Vercast or on email at slatanicvercast at gmail .com. Join us next time, Doc when we will be discussing the seventh track from Raining Blood, which is called Reborn. I hope to see you then, Doc. Me too. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.